Satan had already tried and failed to damage the new church that formed in Jerusalem after Jesus' return to glory. It started with threats and commands to stop talking about Jesus, but this just led the young church to pray for boldness, which the Lord powerfully gave them so the church grew. Next, Satan tried to use corruption to destroy the testimony of the church through hypocrisy. Ananias and his wife Sapphira had lied, but the Lord had shown Peter the truth and kept the church pure by putting Ananias and Sapphira to death in front of the people. And so the church remained pure and continued to grow. However, the next attack was a two-pronged attack designed to split the church apart and to blunt the effectiveness of the apostles in their work. The church at that time was made up of two groups, Jews who were natives of Israel and spoke Hebrew, and Jews who were from other parts of the world and spoke Greek. The Greek speakers were the minority group both in Jerusalem and in the church. Now, the Greek-speaking Jews felt that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and so they complained to the apostles. So Satan's plan was revealed. If the apostles didn't deal with the situation well, the Greek-speaking Jews could split away from the infant church, destroying its witness. And, if the apostles weren't very careful, they could end up having to deal with so many administrative issues that their calling, their ministry would falter, weakening the church. Thankfully, the Lord helped the apostles to see what was happening, and they came up with a solution that ended up blessing everyone. They knew they couldn't ignore the ministry of preaching and prayer that the Lord had given them, and so decided they needed to pass on the very important administrative responsibility by asking the church to find others who could carry that burden. The church welcomed this, and in an act of love to the minority who felt ignored, the whole church chose seven men, all with Greek names and so probably from the minority group themselves, to take on this burden on behalf of the whole church. And so the danger was dealt with, the church wasn't split, the apostles continued to do what the Lord had commissioned them to do, and the Lord continued to bless and grow his church. The first name on that list of seven men chosen by the church was Stephen. And from the descriptions of him in Acts, it seems he was a man who embodied all that the Lord wanted his people to be. Stephen's life was to be short, with a violent end, but at the same time, God was to use Stephen's short life and his death in a remarkable way. You see, before Jesus returned to glory, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received power as the Holy Spirit anointed them, and that because of this anointing, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, something they'd done well up to this point, then in Judea and Samaria, that's the rest of Israel, and then on to the ends of the earth. God would use Stephen's life and death as the trigger that would shoot the church out from Jerusalem into the rest of the world, taking with them the good news of Jesus, a journey that started then and has made it all the way to you today. But as we read about Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, what was it about him that made those who knew him see him as being full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and full of power, to the point where fullness of these things, faith, the Holy Spirit, grace and power, became noteworthy of his character. Well, you can tell a great deal about a person when you see how they react to deadly peril. Because when faced with their own death, the real priorities of a person are laid bare for all to see. And so, as Stephen stood in the middle of the Sanhedrin, 
having condemned the men who'd condemned Jesus, he showed what was in his heart, what made him the man he was. Confronted with their own sin, the leaders of the people surrounded Stephen, now more like wild animals than people, like snarling wolves circling a lamb ready to rip it to pieces. In their rage and desire to silence this man of God, they ground their teeth with a fury that was to last for eternity, for hell is a place filled with furiously angry people. But Stephen didn't look at the danger. His Lord had called him to be in that place. His Lord had given him the message of condemnation and judgment he'd so faithfully delivered, and his Lord was calling him home. So Stephen did what had become his habit, what his new nature had led him to do. Rather than see the danger and feel frightened, Stephen gazed up to see his Lord, looking for the one he loved in the time of greatest need, and the Lord didn't fail his faithful servant. For as he looked up, the heavens opened to Stephen's gaze, and he saw the glory of the Lord, and Jesus himself, his Lord and Master, standing at the right side of God. Jesus standing to strengthen and welcome his faithful servant, and to testify to his father about Stephen, as Stephen had testified about him before men. I wonder if the Apostle Paul had Stephen in mind when he wrote to the Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Because this was the secret revealed about Stephen when he was faced with the end of his earthly life. He belonged to Jesus, and what mattered to him was being and doing what Jesus wanted. Living or dying, the values of God's eternal kingdom were his values, because he knew his life was hidden with Christ in God. So whatever happened, good, bad or ugly, he knew Jesus would never let him down. So powerful and overwhelming was the vision as Stephen looked up, that he couldn't hold it inside, instead in front of the very men who condemned Jesus to death, the same ones who'd refused to believe Jesus when he told them that one day they would see the Son seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Stephen shouted out what he saw, confirming the words of Jesus to be true to the very people who'd refused to believe them. Those men should have fallen on their faces and begged for the forgiveness of the living God, but instead, because they do anything to silence the truth, they rushed at Stephen, covering their ears and shouting at the top of their voices so they couldn't hear another word, and dragged him out of the city to kill him. And yet, Stephen still loved them, because he was like his master, Jesus. Earlier, we're told that Stephen was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he kept his eyes on Jesus. Because he knew that his life was safely hidden with Christ in God. To be full like this means to be completely controlled by what it is you're full of. So Stephen was completely controlled by faith and by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he trusted God and he obeyed him. Trust and obey. Stephen believed what Jesus had taught, that nothing could snatch him from Jesus' hand or from his Father's hand. And if that was true, then nothing in all creation could ever separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing, even a violent and painful death. 
So when the Lord asked Stephen to do something, he did it, knowing that whatever came from it, be it joy, be it rejection and opposition, be it imprisonment or even death, that these things were not outside of God's plans and control, that he could trust the Lord to use whatever happened for his good. And the end result of being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, of trusting and obeying, was that this man Stephen was also full of grace and power. Grace and power, seen in the undeserved love he had for those who were murdering him. Because just as Jesus prayed from the cross for the forgiveness of those who murdered him, so the last act of this incredible man as he fell to his knees was to plead with the Lord Jesus to not hold this terrible sin against these men. There was no remorse in these wicked men. They didn't deserve any mercy, but that's how grace works, unearned and undeserved and yet still freely given. They were so determined to put an end to Stephen that they made sure nothing would tangle them up or stop them hurling rocks. So taking off their coats in case they slowed them down, they left them for safekeeping at the feet of a young man called Saul of Tarsus. And so they expressed the full extent of their rage and hatred and wouldn't stop venting until Stephen's body was a lifeless mess of blood and bone. What a contrast. One hurling gracious love in the power of God at the other, who hurled rocks back in their hatred, intent on murder. The Bible then uses a beautiful and sad phrase to describe such a gruesome and terrible event. It says that Stephen fell asleep, and for him it would seem so. His Lord had supplied all he needed to face his death, and the next thing he would know would be the joy of waking up in the presence of the one he loved together at last, never to separate again. A servant who, like his master, had been accused falsely, had false witnesses distort his words, had a sham trial, had prayed for his murderers and been executed outside the city gates, but who now would stay in glory with his Lord and Saviour forever. And that prayer Stephen prayed was no sham, for standing there, looking after the coats and approving of Stephen's murder, was Saul of Tarsus, later to become Paul the Apostle, a man saved by God's grace in answer to that final act of love by Stephen. After Stephen died, the Lord showed how he even uses the hatred and rage of his enemies to serve his purposes, for no sooner was Stephen dead than Saul of Tarsus fell upon the church with such fury that he intended to completely destroy it. How the Lord laughs at the raging of men and nations. For the end result of Saul's rage was to achieve the purposes of God, as God used Saul's rage to send the church streaming out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth with the good news of God's love in Christ Jesus, doing exactly what Jesus had told them they would do. So where does this leave you? Do you want to be effective like Stephen? If so, you must keep your heart and mind set on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't let the pressures and fears of this life define the choices you make, the places you go, the people you associate with, and the power and effectiveness of your life. Instead, seek to obey Jesus in every way, and rush to repentance when you become aware of sin. And 
When you know his will for you, and you're doing what he asks, and then find yourself put under pressure, hurting, paying a higher price than you expected, look once again to him and trust that he can, no, that he is, using these difficult things to mould you into the person he wants you to be. That these pressures are the kind of spiritual pressures he brings to bear on you, to transform your faith from faith like coal to one like diamond. Stephen was effective because he kept his eyes, his heart and his mind on the values of heaven and the person of Jesus Christ, making the values and priorities of Jesus his own. Then he got on with the life Jesus gave him, trusting Jesus in all situations and for all he needed. If you follow Stephen's example, then your life will also start to be marked with grace and power. Grace in that you can and will love everyone the Lord brings you into contact with for his sake, knowing that the Lord guides your paths, and so any meetings are not chance but in his will. And power in that he will use you, your words, prayers and actions, to impact those you meet for himself and to build his kingdom in ways that you may never know this side of eternity. And then, when the good, the bad or downright ugly things come into your life, you won't be fearful. Instead, you'll be assured that he is in control and his resources are more than enough to meet all your needs, whatever they may be. And one final thought. If you will live like Stephen, only heaven can imagine what glory the Lord will bring to his son through your life and what welcome awaits you there.